The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you are listening to the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. I have two guests this morning. Two guests are joining me, two ladies. Joining me this morning are author Sonia Riccotti, and she's the, the author. Her new book is called The Unsinkable, uh, How to Bounce Back Quickly When Life Knocks You Down. We all need to know about that, and we're talking about financial crisis, divorce, losing your job, losing a loved one, a health scare, all of those kinds of major life events that we have to deal with. And she is going to help tell us how we can face those painful events, but don't allow them to destroy us. Uh, our next guest is Barbara Kelly, and she is uh, the undecided. So we have the unsinkable, we have the undecided. And her new book is Undecided, How to Ditch the Endless Quest for Perfect and Find the Career and Life That's Right for You. So we've got all good stuff coming up this morning. And um, here to talk to me now is Sonia Riccati. She is a leading expert in personal and professional transformation. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Nice to have you on this morning. Well, thank you for having me. So you're from Canada, as I understand it, right? I am. I'm from Toronto. Great city. I love Toronto. But anyway, I'm in upstate New York, so we're not that far away. Great. (laughs) Unsinkable. You know, uh, obviously, this is a book that's uh, timely because it seems to me that every you know every time we open the newspaper and we go online, everything seems to be all these catastrophic events. I don't you know from tornadoes to hurricanes to I mean horrific kinds of things, right? To nuclear disasters in Japan. So, does your book apply to these kinds of things as well as divorce, financial crisis, and losing your job? It does, absolutely. It, it has everything to do with how you personally, the actual individual going through each difficult situation, how they handle it, how to be able to bounce back quickly when something happens. Yes, life happens. Things life happen. does happen. But, Sonia, you know, you do. You go to the bookstore. You go to Borders. We see your book. We go to, you know, um, our local bookstore. And then we see all these other self-help books, too. What makes your book different? Okay, you know, I mean, I love the premise. We have to, life happens, stuff happens, and we have to deal with it. We can go down the tubes or we can go forward. I, I understand the premise. What makes your particular, uh, I don't want to say your agenda or your philosophy different than, say, the other self-help books? Well, I believe that the way I do it is, um, and I explain it in the book, is, is very simple. It doesn't have to be a long road ahead of you to recover from whatever you're going going through. And <clears throat> what I find is that what's and, and in my last book as well, which is called The Law of Attraction, Plain and Simple, I always put it in a very simple chunks and stuff. And the law of attraction for those who don't know simply means that what you put out there in the world you get back. You put out bad stuff, you get back bad stuff. You put out good stuff, comes back good. Is that it? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes what happens with, you know, in the self-help world, 
you know, things are made so complicated. And in, in reality, it doesn't have to be so complicated. You can actually, no matter what's going on in your life, you can actually feel good right now, regardless of what's going on in your life. You might have just lost your job. You might have just lost your home. You might have just, your husband might have just left you. Whatever it is. Yeah, it doesn't My husband was sleeping with the maid and just gave, and who had, and, and uh, she has a son who uh, is my husband's son. How about that example? What would you do in that case? <laughs> hmm, is that reality? That's um, reality. <laughs> I know. Um, well, I'll tell you what. It really has a lot to do with how you view the situation. How You need to recreate your reality. These things happen. Maybe not in this particular case. It doesn't happen often, thank God. But these things do happen. And so when these things happen, the big question is, how are you going to react to that situation? And um, when these things happen, you have to realize that if you're not feeling good at any given moment, not only in this situation, but in any situation, if you're not feeling good in any given moment, it's not because of the situation going on outside of you. It's not that. There's a situation that's going on outside of you, and you're feeling a certain way. And we just assume that that's the reason why we feel the way we feel is because of what's going on. But in reality, something in the middle happens between that, between what's happening and how you feel. And what happens is you have a thought about what's going on outside of you. Right. And Let's that thought example, makes you feel love, the way you feel. I think it really... Um, brings it all home. If let's take the Arnold Schwarzenegger Maria Shriver example. Okay. What? Let's take Maria Shriver because there's been a lot of news of what she's done since she found out that her husband had uh, fathered a child with the maid and they had slept in her marriage bed and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Uh, so okay, she finds this out. She's doing certain things. You know, she went to the Oprah show and she, you know, Oprah's last show or whatever it was, and she's out there with her kids. Is she doing the right thing or put her in the paradigm? Well, I can't say whether she's doing the right thing or not because I don't know how she's feeling or what's going on in her head. So the truth is um, she is the only person that knows if she's doing the right thing. It all depends how she's feeling right now. Because, yeah, she can be going out doing all this stuff, but be, maybe feel totally depressed and down and, you know, still going out there doing this stuff. The big question is, how is she feeling as she's doing all these things? You know, so is she doing the right thing? It's hard to say. Everyone is individual. There's no right or wrong way of doing things. The big question is, how do you want to feel at any given moment? And you have control over that. Because I'll tell you, a lot of times people... You know, decide to actually stay in that funk for a really long time. And they hold on to the negativity and they hold on to the resentment. And the only person you're hurting is yourself in that case. So the question is, is she releasing it? It might be a little early. I mean, this just happened just now. I mean, that's a lot to digest. And in the book, I actually have a lesson that says it's okay to feel bad. I mean, life happens. Don't deny your feelings. Let it out. Cry. Do what you need to do to let it go and release it to the universe and let it go so that way you can move forward. Maybe she did that. I don't know. See, I, I think really that's don't a know. really important point, very important from a social work perspective. It's okay. Bad stuff happens, like in this case. But you've got to go with the, you've got to feel the negative feelings, as you say, not hang mm-hmm. on to them for years and become depressed. But I think... Uh, the uh, you know some people not only want to hang on to them other people i think want to let go too quickly like i mean i ha- i bring this up because you know i have a girlfriend whose husband 
this was left her. And, you know, two weeks later, she wanted to feel good about it and go on with her life. That's not healthy either, and I don't think that's what you're saying. No, and you know what, and it's interesting, it's amazing. Sometimes people, all they need, like it depends on the situation. So I don't know about your friend, but sometimes two weeks is all they need in the sense that maybe they had a really miserable marriage and actually it's actually a relief that this marriage has ended. Um, But sometimes if it happens too quickly, they haven't really dealt with it. And what they're doing is they're just holding in all that negative stuff and they're just ignoring it and denying it and trying to do stuff to keep themselves busy, and that's really bad to do, because as someone who uh, teaches the law of attraction and the importance of being able to generate positive energy all the time, so that way what you put out is what you get back, you're actually generating negative energy when you do not deal with the situation of what's happening or deal with your feelings. And so when it's at a subconscious level at that point, you're actually generating negative energy all the time because it hasn't been dealt with. So it is okay to feel bad. It is okay. Don't make yourself wrong and say, oh, my God, I shouldn't be feeling this way. No, you should. Something bad happened, right? And so let it go. So give us another example that you have in the book, because you do have, obviously, a lot of examples in the book that kind of take us through the process um, when bad stuff happens. Right. I have actually 20 If your husband left you or slept with a maid, there are other things that happen to people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a lot of other things. Um, Well, well, in the book... Not with my friends, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, let me tell you, I have 20 lessons in the book. So, And those are 20 lessons that I, I call them 20 lessons to live by when life knocks you down. So, um, you know, there are a lot of different things. One of them is it's okay to feel bad. The other thing is say yes to change. No matter what in life, there's... We always say there's two things always guaranteed in life, death and taxes. Well, I'm going to add a third thing. That's change. Change is going to happen no matter what in life. And to resist it or deny it or say it shouldn't be or judge it is not going to make change not happen. It's going to happen. So embracing it and saying yes to change will help you with your path to be able to go with the flow and be able to deal with what's happening. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing is surrender You know, to what is is one of the other lessons, which means that when something negative is happening in your life, what we do is it's like standing in front of a closed door and we complain and we, you know, we are angry and frustrated and depressed and all those negative feelings. When you feel that way, you are staring at a closed door. You are not accepting things the way they are. And what that means is when I say surrender to what is, you just say to yourself, you know what? I accept it. This has happened to me. This is happening. You know, if you're, let's say, $10,000 in debt, which probably a lot of people can relate to more. Yeah, or more. Um, you know, if you're $10,000 in debt, instead of saying, it shouldn't be this way, I can't believe I just got, you know, lost my job and they never appreciated me. I'm never going to, you know, get out of debt. I'm going to lose my home. All these negative feelings, instead of saying that, just accept the fact that you're $10,000 in debt. And yeah. also, when you're doing that, Sonia, you're also using energy to pretend that something that didn't happen did happen. So that's kind of like wasted energy or it's energy exactly. that needs to be put oh, in the Oh, it's all the story and interpretation it. that we just made up. I mean, yeah. it's everything's a story. And so the truth is when you surrender and say, you know what, I'm in $10,000 in debt. You're surrendering to it. It isn't bad. It isn't good. It just is the way it is. And that's not the same as giving up, by the way. It's just accepting it rather than resisting it. 
you could say all you want that it shouldn't be a certain way, but it is a certain way. So let it go, accept it. And once you're able to accept it, you release all that negative energy around it. And all of a sudden, you'll start noticing you have more mental clarity. All of a sudden, you realize, you know what? Okay, now, instead of focusing on the problem, let's focus on the solution. And then the solutions will start coming to you. Opportunities will start coming to you because you are open to it and you're looking for it. See, I think that's key, and I'm going to give you a really, this is a sad, this is sort of the other end of having affairs, but uh, this also is, is something that many people are dealing with or struggling with. I mean, uh, this is a now, you can say, I get my whole sad family story, but I have a, a, a cousin who was just uh, diagnosed with metastatic cancer. Uh, this is like, you know, when we're talking about some, you know, with, with really months or, you know, a year to live at the most, mm-hmm. so... Indeed, and and I'm in contact with her, you know, almost every other day, and you know it's really tough. But I think applying what you just said, you know, it's a horrific kind of a diagnosis. But accept it, and then go on and do the things that you need to do, the most positive things you can do, whether with your family or, you know, whatever it is, rather than trying to. And I think in the beginning, deny that this is the truth, and spending energy trying to pretend that. She didn't get the diagnosis. You know what I mean? So, yeah, even though absolutely. it's awful. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Because what happens is, let's say you're, you're given a diagnosis that you have one year to live. Well, you have a choice of how you're going to live the next year. Do you want to live it being miserable, depressed, angry at the world for the next year and then you pass on? Or do you want to actually live your greatest year of your life? The truth is, yeah, she knows when, well, she doesn't, first of all, there's always no one, hope yeah. and faith in a miracle. So I actually talk about that in the book as well. Miracles do happen. Mm-hmm. So you can't just give up on that period. But the other thing is we don't know, you don't know, I don't know when we are going to pass on. I mean, something might happen tomorrow for all we know, right? So the truth is surrendering is absolutely crucial in saying, you know what, this is what has happened. This is what's going on. I am accepting and surrendering to it, but at the same time, I'm going to have faith that something great is going to come out of this, and I will enjoy and love every moment of every day and appreciate it and see it as a miracle that I am alive. So what's your best story from your book or from your experiences? Because you, you're a motivational speaker. You go around. You, I'm sure you hear a lot. You Obviously, you hear a lot of stories from a lot of people, and you've helped a lot of people. Anyone, I mean, you have a website, uh, leadoutloud.com. Right. right. Yeah. So, and I just wanted to mention that because <clears throat> I want to, you know, we only have a couple more minutes. Or actually, one um well, I guess, yeah, we have a couple more minutes, so I just want listeners to know they can go there to your website, leadoutloud.com. But uh, give us the best story, one of, you know, let's, let's, that, that, that you've experienced, that maybe somebody who has read your book or heard you speak, and then they come back to you and say, hey, this is what it did for me. Well, one of the things, I have so many stories, um, but we don't have much time to go no, into we got one, one of the, tell the best story. Oh, well, I call it the Oprah story, but that's a long one. It's in the book, actually. It's a great, a great story. But one thing I do want to, uh, the story I do want to say, mention is I talk in the book about miracles do happen, which I mentioned earlier. And sometimes we don't know how we're going to get out of our situation. And we try to figure out, you know, like I had a friend, <clears throat> which I talk about in the book, um, that um, was uh, about to be evicted from her, from her apartment. And she just didn't have the money. And she was, 
going to be on the streets a week later. And we were trying to figure out how can we get her to make $1,200 to make that rent. And we were trying, we were brainstorming trying to figure out how to make this happen. And she said, well, you know what, I'm going to set this intention that whatever is going to happen is, is supposed to happen. And if I'm supposed to stay here, something is going to happen for me to get to stay here. And she goes, all I need is $2,000 to really keep me going for the next month. And then I said to her, well, why don't you say $5,000? Set the intention you want, $5,000. Well, you know what? A Less than an hour and a half later, we met with a friend that she had never met before, and that person ended up lending her $7,500 and said to her, pay me back when you're 75. Miracles do happen. Absolutely. And you could, so sometimes, you know, even though you don't know how it's going to happen, just believe and be open to miracles coming into your life because they do happen. Yeah. And I don't know if they do happen, but I think you create the miracle, miracles yourself, which is kind of, I think, what you're saying, if you set the intention. Well, in this, in this particular case, you were open to it. She said, you know, I'm setting the intention. I said, well, why don't you ask for 5000 And then we just kind of put it out there, and then we just released it rather than, you know, being negative or worrying or whatever. She just released it temporarily, and next thing you know, it landed in her lap. Like, to well, me, maybe that's I'll a miracle. That after she I get had, off the we walked show, I could that do lunch. 10, she had a $7,500 <laughs> check. <laughs> It's been great having you on the show. Thank you. And I just want to, uh, obviously I want to mention the book one more time, Unsinkable, How to Bounce Back Quickly When Life Knocks You Down. That's what we've been talking about with Sonia Riccati. Great having you on the show. And go to your website, leadoutloud.com. Yes. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Catherine Fox, your social worker with a microphone. Barbara Kelly is here with us, uh, author of Undecided, How to Ditch the Endless Quest for Perfect. And find the career and life that's right for you. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. I'm your social worker with a microphone. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio. My next guest is Barbara Kelly. She's the author of Undecided, How to Ditch the Endless Quest for Perfect and Find the Career and Life That's Right for You. And she wrote her book with her daughter, Shannon Kelly. But we have mother on this morning, Barbara Kelly. And I guess the premise of the book, How to Ditch the Undecided, is that, that women somehow, even though we've achieved a lot, and uh, since the feminist movement, we've had the first female vice presidential candidate, we've uh, had sex in the city, um, and lots of firsts for women in our country, we st- and we think we can do anything, but apparently we're not doing anything. We're still kind of paralyzed in terms of the choices that we make. We're still unsatisfied. We still don't seem as a group to be getting where we need to go. So welcome to the show, Barbara. Let's talk about it, undecided. Thanks, um, <laughs> Thanks Catherine. Happy to be here. I'm decided that I'm happy to be here. Right. All right, I think your book is timely. Is when I, you know, I was talking to a friend uh, last night, somebody I sit on a committee with, uh, a scholarship committee, and she and I were, I was mentioned her that you were going to be on the show, and we started talking about this, um, that this women in, from their twenties to their sixties, it, it covers a lot of at least three generations. Women, an epidemic of chronic indecision when it comes to making choices about work, what we want to do, and how we want to live our lives. Why? Um, I think it has to do with the fact that it's all so new. Um, You know, just about a generation ago, women would come out of school and their options were a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. Or a social worker. Or a social worker, yeah, yeah. And um, all of a sudden, all the doors are open. We could be doctors, we could be lawyers, we could be filmmakers, um, PhD candidates, what have you, but we don't really have the role, the generational role models that men have had, you know, for centuries to say, oh, this is how it's done, and this is how you live your life when you're a lawyer, when you're a doctor, when you're this, that, or the other thing, when you're raising a family, and so we're kind of feeling our way, and um, along with the message that we could do anything has been the message that we could have it all, and of course that's not true. And that's not true of anybody. I think that's a very poor, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's a very poor message for girls or boys, Absolutely. for children. I mean, you want to try and develop yourself to be the best that you can be, but you can't be anything. I'm a social worker. I cannot be a, physis, uh, a physicist. That doesn't fit into my, how I think. That's and right. so that, but I think we're still kind of giving those messages off. Let's, we'll stick with little girls. You can be anything you want to be. Not true. Yeah, I, and, and I think um, young women today have internalized that message, and then they kind of come smack up with reality, and they think, oh, my God, I chose wrong. And that's, that's kind of the issue with um, a lot of the indecision and the dissatisfaction. It's, I chose wrong. I made a mistake. And that's not true either. So what are we talking about in terms of statistics? Is this the reason why women don't become CEOs of big companies, why they don't get to the top of their game, why they aren't managing partners in law firms? Is, is that related at all? To their um, I kind of think it is. There have been a lot of studies out there that have shown, these are, these are kind of depressing studies, but they've shown that um, when women have kids, they are seen as less promotable. And one, 
one of, it's kind of benign, benign neglect. It's, uh, you know, a woman is doing well in her job. She has a child. She comes back to work. And often her bosses will think, well, we'll do her a favor and not give her the challenging assignments or not send her on trips because she sure wants to be home with her kids, which may or may not be true. But ultimately, that kind of keeps women out of the boardroom or out of, you know, the managing partner's chair. Um, also, studies have shown, and um, this is... this. This is really depressing, but studies have shown that even when women don't have children, they're kind of perceived as, well, that someday they might, and they won't be as serious about their career. So it's a cultural thing, I think. So this is the same kind of an attitude, as you're saying, that was uh, almost in my mother's generation. Exactly. It hasn't changed. I mean, we think things have changed, but you're saying that they haven't changed, that... um, the perception or the expectation for women themselves and or their bosses or the people they work for is that you really you sort of have one foot in the in the in the in, one foot in the door in terms of work and the other foot is at home with the kids yeah even if you don't, yeah, if you don't have kids that's right um, this this one study was done I think out of the University of Chicago and the, it was a business school professor who did the study. And she called it the maternal wall, showing you know how how women are some some somewhat penalized for um, having a family in terms of their career. And she said her business school, and this is graduate school, her business school students said, "Oh no, 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 no. that was a long time ago. That's not me. That won't affect me." And people think that things have really changed in ways that they have not yet. I think they are changing, and they will. But you know, it's slow. It's a slow process. So how, you know, are we, I mean, do you talk about it in your book, like how to move the process along? I mean, you, talk, you do say that we, are we expecting too much as women? I mean, is it just too amorphous, you know, in terms of what we expect so we don't make choices or we don't express our choices or kind of give us the overall, your overall premise and then what we can do about it? Um, I think, first of all, um, I think I think girls are raised to be pleasers, and we're uh, you know women are are kind of hardwired to please, and so I think we take um, the messages from outside. You know what what do our parents want us to be? What do our professors want us to be? Um, what does the culture say we should be? Rather than kind of going deep inside and figuring out what we want or what's best for us, um, that that's one of one of the issues, so kind of, you need to know yourself and silence all the noise that comes in from all these externals. But something right. else. What too, about you? Because you wrote this book with your daughter, right? So you've got two generations there, and she also. I mean, both of you are. You teach journalism, and you write for newspapers, and you, you know you're very successful. And your daughter, it sounds like, has done the same thing. She's kind of followed in your footsteps. So. What have you, how did you raise her? What did you do for her? Because obviously you did something that she was able to make a choice, it sounds like. Um, I don't know if it's the, yeah, well, go ahead. It's, it's interesting because um, <clears throat> she said she fought being a journalist for years because she didn't want to follow in her mother's footsteps, which is, which is kind of funny. But um, she lost the battle. <laughs> yeah, I guess she did, yeah. Um, I think... You know, she she had some trial and error in there. She had she did some some jobs within 
some careers that she knew was not a good fit for her. And I think that's one of the other issues. Um, <clears throat> there, there's kind of the idea in medicine that you have to rule things out when you're making a diagnosis. And I think, I think we have to learn to do that too. You know, be willing to fail, um, do a little bit of trial and error so we can rule out the things that don't work before we find the things that do. And I think, I think that's helpful too. Well, but you as a mother must have done something in terms of, I mean, obviously you're very aware of all this. So just really um, kind of as a learning experience for all of us or for those of us who are raising daughters, I raise sons, but what did you do? Did you, is this the message that you gave to her when she was a little girl? You didn't say, well, you can do whatever you want. I mean, because that other message isn't good either. Try everything. You can do whatever you want. That's not what you're saying. Yeah. So what were you doing when she was, you know, 10, 12, or, you know, even um, when she got into... You know, that's, that's a really good question. I think, I think really, um, like most mothers, I was just living it day by day. One thing that was helpful, I have two daughters, and I think one thing that was helpful was sending them to all-girls high schools. And I think that helped them develop more self-confidence and a sense of self. And um, the other thing that kind of goes contrary to, way, to the way my students are raised is that once they went to college, um, both my husband and I let them be completely on their own. We didn't, we didn't make any suggestions as to what their major should be, um, never really questioned them about their grades, and let them do their own thing. And I think maybe... That was very helpful for both of them. And it's funny, when I tell my students that, you know, I never saw my kids' grades when they were in college. Um, They chose their own majors, both of which were extremely impractical. They're just stunned. I agree with you, and I have, this is something that I am, I talk about this on the show a lot because I think it's a huge problem, and maybe particularly with girls, I don't know, this connection with parents and their kids when they're in college and calling and texting and what course should I take and what should I major in and what should I do and who should I go out with, and this constant kind of not, I think, uh, communicating with parents, with college kids, so that they don't make their own choices, their own decisions, and it's not I. I, I so believe that that's not helpful. So I, I think that that's really a, a, to me, that's a really positive thing that you did with your daughter. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, looking back, I, I think it was. But I agree with you about the, um, the overconnectedness with parents among college kids now. Um, you know, they're, they'll be sitting in class and they'll get text messages from mm-hmm. their moms at the same time every day. And I think... A lot of the young women in school talk to their mother every day, every day, and they talk about classes, and we've heard stories about parents calling in before registration to talk to the dean or the chair of the department to get their, their, their child's schedule fixed the right way. So you, but you're at a school, you're at, this, at Santa Clara University. Right. Isn't it up to the universities themselves to maybe make some rules and restrictions on that? To, that you know, that this, this is a grown-up, this is somebody who's over 18 years old, let's assume, and that they're not going to connect with the parents in that way, and that they're going to have to talk to their own sons or daughters if they have questions, or can the university not do that? Um, well, you can, you can send out that message, but it's pretty hard to enforce. You know, when, when parents, I, in fact, I had, I had a mother 
called me a couple of years ago about her son, who was one of my advisees, and she said his grades aren't aren't what they should be. Could you talk to him? Could you do something about that? And I said, well, you know, if he comes to talk to me, yeah, I will, but I'm not going to hunt him down. And she said, I'm just at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. And you know, I think I think that's kind of the typical attitude, and you can't prevent them from calling you. No, you can't prevent them from calling you. You can just, it depends on what your response is. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, and I think that, I mean, because that kind of a call in, in my, when I was in school, that kind of call came from mothers calling if your kid was in middle school or maybe mm-hmm. high school. Yeah, but not college. Yeah. Um, one, one of our sources in the, in the book is an administrator at uh, kind of a, a prestigious all-girls high school. And she told me that recently they have had to issue a written protocol to parents regarding communication so that if their daughter doesn't make the team or is not chosen for the play or doesn't get the grade they want, their daughter has to take it up with the teacher or the coach or the director first before parents are allowed to, to call or come in, which I, th- I, think, I think is healthy, but, but the fact that they had to do that it's kind of troubling. Uh, not only troubling, you talk about maybe we've been evolving. I don't think we've been evolving. I went to a boarding school, and I was an all-girls boarding school, and that kind of thing would have been unthinkable. You were responsible for if you didn't make the team and you had a problem, you had to go to the soccer coach and ask why. You didn't have your mother or your father calling for you. And if you don't handle those things then, how do we expect women to get out there and take on responsible positions in big companies or become entrepreneurs or become that managing partner? Or who wants a doctor operating on you who has to call her mother every five minutes to find out what to do? That's exactly. That's <laughs> anyway, we're going to take a short break. Barbara Kelly, author of Undecided, How to Ditch the Endless Quest for Perfect and Find the Career and Life that's Right for You. Don't go away because she and I have lots more to talk about. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and it's the Catherine Zock Show. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. It's the Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. My guest this morning is Barbara Kelly, author of Undecided, How to Ditch the Endless Quest for Perfect and Find the Career and Life that's right for you. Barbara also teaches journalism, and we've been talking about that, and directs the journalism emphasis at Santa Clara University in California. And she writes for many daily newspapers, including the Christian Science Monitor, uh, Los Angeles Times, San Jose Mercury News, and a whole host of other ones. But Okay, Barbara, so we're talking about women and uh, making decisions and supposedly having the whole world open to them so they can make right choices, but they don't seem to be doing that. For, and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, Catherine, part of this has to do with the psychology of choice. Um, and, you know, there there's a concept out there that you run into like in the first hundred pages of any econ textbook, and it's called opportunity, opportunity cost. And what it means, very simply, is that if you're doing A, you can't be doing B. So, you know, if I'm talking to you on the phone right now, I can't be out going for a run. It's physically impossible. And I think that makes that kind of as a basis, basis for understanding why choices can be difficult, but... If you add in the fact that there are, you know, dozens or maybe hundreds of choices, it becomes infinitely more difficult because the assumption is that if there are a lot of choices out there, one of them must be perfect. So as women, if we are, we become paralyzed by too many choices. But as what we were saying before, if you don't allow women or young girls to make their own choices along the way, they're certainly going to be paralyzed by choices because they haven't had the experience experience of, of making good choices for themselves. Exactly. I think, I think that, that's so true. And I think there, there also has to be a willingness to make the wrong choice and fail. Because you learn from that. You learn from failures. It's one of our, our sources who's a um, psychologist at a university in Southern California told us, she said, you'll always get over a failure, but you'll never recover from regret. And I think that's so true. But Barbara, so then what do you say about the trend in uh, elementary school? Let's, we'll take uh, young girls, and they're on a team, and nobody doesn't get to play on the team, even if they're a crummy player, or everybody gets an award at the end of the season, you know, even if they were a crummy player. You, you, you're number, right. you, get a, you get a trophy for being number 10. What does that say? What kind of a message is that? I, I think that the message is, honey, you're always successful and everything's going to work out, when in reality it doesn't. And I think this is something else that makes this, um, this issue kind of um, more relevant with women is that from grade school up through college, girls do school well. You know, they, they do as they're told, they perform well, they're focused, they're driven, they participate in class, and I definitely see this but they're very successful in the structures of school. And then they get outside that, you know, where there are no trophies just for showing up or there's no grades or A-pluses or anything, and it's kind of baffling. And, and you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk out there that um, boys are not doing well because schools are not set up for, you know, active boys who want to run around and don't want to sit still but maybe they're better prepared to go out into the world. I, I, I would agree with you. I think that uh, what happens is girls do very well, as you say, structured situations. I mean, 
I see myself, I was always one of those girls because it was just very, you had a goal. If you get an A, that's all you had to do was get an A and all you had to do was study. Right. Not all, but, you know, and that's, but there weren't other conflicting kinds of things that you had to deal with. So if you were a good girl and you studied, you got your good grade and, and, uh, you got rewarded. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so. And, and, and this, the way this plays into a lot of the dissatisfaction that I see in my former students is they were those A students, they, they got at all the accolades in school, and then, you know, they get out into the real world, and it's just, you know, the promises aren't fulfilled, it's not what they thought it was, and what happens is they think they did something wrong. You know, they blame themselves, when in reality... You know, maybe they weren't cut out for this job, or maybe life's a lot more complicated than they were led to believe, or maybe they grew up thinking they could have it all, and then all of a sudden, you know, they they had a child or they had two children, and they realized, ooh, things are different than I thought they were. I think also this, the word rules comes up as I'm listening to you. Rules. Well, girls think, and I think even women, young women, if I just follow the rules, everything's going to be fine. You know, then I will get I'll get my promotion, I'll get my raise, I'll get my job, whatever it is. I think that, and I don't know if we're hardwired for this or not, but I don't think that boys or men feel the same way. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And I think they get over things faster, too. You know, if something doesn't work out, it's like, eh, whatever, on to the next thing, whereas women kind of agonize about it and internalize it. They internalize, I think they internalize the negativity and I think I see young girls in high school doing that. I know with my boys, I think you, you know, that was exactly the case. You know, somebody would say something nasty, do something nasty. They, you know, they, they might swear or they might be upset, but then they forgot about it. It's over. Mm-hmm. And the girlfriends would be just, you know, calling their other girlfriends and, and analyzing why does somebody not like me? And if they don't like me, what's wrong with me? You know, boys, right. they don't like me. Well, too bad, boys will say. You know, I, I don't have to be with them anymore. Yeah. I mean, I know we're generalizing, but there is kind of, I think, that that kind of, I don't know if it's the difference between testosterone and estrogen, but there is something to it. Yeah, I think there is, too. Um, it's interesting. We have a chapter in our book, and this is kind of the other side of that coin. Yeah. It's called Our Differences Are Our Strengths. And um, what we go into in that chapter is the fact that, you know, women are not succeeding by trying to be like men, and we should appreciate our differences. And in fact, you know, the few companies, Fortune 500 companies that, that do have women CEOs are doing a lot better. And it's because, you know, women are playing to who they are internally, and um, a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, different kinds of risk-taking and different kinds of management skills. But I think that's one of the things that, you know, as we go through this transition and our growing pains, one of the things we have to embrace. You know, we're not men in skirts. We're women, and, and we're a little bit different, but that difference is good and beneficial. And so let's be specific. What are some of the benefits? Why uh, the companies, let's say, that w- where women can be themselves, we're not men in skirts, we're women in pants, I guess, but we can, we, you know, we don't have to behave like men. And those companies uh, that do well, having women who take on those roles, who, what, what, what are the, are, you say, you mentioned risks, are they? Well, um, I, th- I think men are big risk takers. 
and um, women will take more, more kind of a, a moral risk. There was um, a study was out a while ago about uh, women whistleblowers, and um, I think I think the one. Oh, I'm blanking on the name, but she was one of the whistleblowers in the Enron scandal. Yep. And and um, the study was about the fact that where men might be willing to take risks in terms of you know big amounts of money or or um, leveraging a company or buying other companies, women are more likely to take moral risks. You know, such as, such as being a, a whistleblower. And putting putting their career on the line for something that's right, which I think is is really interesting. Um, the other the other areas though that uh, women seem to be different is their leadership skills and their communication skills and being more collaborative. So it's a more collaborative way of management rather than a top down, and that seems to be successful too. Well, can both of those things work depending on, it's almost like if each person, if men are themselves and women are themselves, they, either one of them can make it work as long as you're not trying to do something that goes against who you are. Yeah. I mean, women are more collaborative than be more collaborative. Yeah. Or they're less risk takers when it comes to like a leveraging a company, but more of a risk taker when it comes to being a whistleblower. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that would they, See, you know, that's no one's going to ever hire another woman again if they hear that. Yeah, I know, I know. That's, that's kind of an outlier example, but yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting. It is. Yeah, yeah. So it I, you know, surprise me. I, but uh, although, how about this? I mean, this is off topic, I guess. But the but it took a long time for the whistle, this Lance Armstrong thing, the whistleblower, the the. Oh boy, yeah. Yeah, talking about yeah about doping. Yeah, I mean that. We're going to take just a quick break. We'll be back in a minute because I want to talk about this. Barbara Kelly, author of Undecided. I'm Catherine Zoxia, social worker with a microphone. We'll be back in a minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, World Talk Radio, and my guest is Barbara Kelly, author of Undecided, How to Ditch the Endless Quest for Perfect and Find the Career and Life that right for you. Barbara, what website can we go to, uh, if, you know, to buy the book? And um, Well, the book is available on Amazon or any one of a number of online booksellers. Um, it's also in some bookstores. And our, our website, which is our blog, is www.undecidedthebook.wordpress.com. Okay, great. All right, let's, we kind of are going to round things up in these next few minutes. So, we have a resolution for all of this, do we? Um, so that women can make good choices, not get caught up in this kind of emotional paralysis and not be able to choose work and have it, well, we, as you say, we, I mean, we haven't really covered the work-life balance. Should we touch on that? Um, <clears throat> just, just a little bit. I think, I think one of the things that's really difficult and I think something that we need to continue to talk about is the fact that the workplace is still structured Excuse my voice here. The workplace is still structured for, you know, a full-time worker with someone at home to take care of business. And, you know, whether that's a man or a woman. But I don't think anyone lives that way anymore, especially in California where the cost of living is so high. Mm-hmm. You know, most families have, are two career families. And it's difficult. And, um, I think we, we have to have a shift in that. So that <clears throat> there's more of a sharing of the burden of running the household, and work hours are not assumed to be 52 hours a week, and I think that's what it's broken down to. And the other thing, of course, is that we're connected all the time, so we never get away from work. There's texts, there's emails, you know, with the you know, but also, economy. Barbara, you never get away from home either. Yeah, you, know, you can be at work, and you see women, they're texting the babysitter, they're texting the nanny, they're texting their mother, or they're texting whoever, or calling the person who's taking care of the uh, the kid or the family. So, it, it, you know, it even works both ways. Yeah. Ge- generational dis- differences. Are there any differences between women in their 20s and women in their 50s who are at work? Um, well, this is an interesting story. One, one of our, our sources in the book, um, she very accomplished. She went to Notre Dame. She um, ended up getting an MFA in poetry. She's had, you know, several kind of prestigious jobs along the way. Right now she's a grant writer for a nonprofit. And we were talking to her about the time that she was pregnant with her first child. And she said, you know, when I was growing up, my mom said, you know, her choices were teacher, secretary, nurse, social worker, what have you. And and I was always raised with the idea that I could do everything, I could do anything. And she said, but what my mother never had the experience to tell me or to explain to me is that, for example, if you want to um, succeed in your career, you're going to have to give up your dreams of the perfect pound cake. Or, she said, if you happen to get a great job in Louisville, Kentucky, you better be able to cowboy up for two weeks of intense conversation with your husband to explain how it's going to benefit him. And I think her examples really go to this generational shift in that we haven't learned how to do those kind of negotiations to navigate this new terrain because it is so new. 
also, though, and I just want to add, uh, sort of just remind you of something that you said before, you can't be in two places at the same time. If you are in Louisville on a big corporate uh, meetings or you're going to be there for a month, then you cannot be at school and see your kids' recital. Your husband may be able to see it, but you are not going to be there, and you will miss that experience. And and I think there's something with this work-life balance, and women particularly, that they're trying to or seemingly think that they can do both, and you can't. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice, and also you have to realize that there are a lot of compromises in life. And compromise is a really dirty word, but I think we have to accept that. And once you do... I think you're a little bit happier, more satisfied, and you realize that good enough really is good enough. There's no such thing as perfect. But Can we have another word for compromise? I don't, I don't like that word either. When I think of compromise, I think I'm, I'm compromising. I'm not really happy with either choice. And is there another more positive word we can use besides compromise? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, we haven't come up with one. And maybe that's the problem, you know, language is doing us in. Yeah. Yeah, when you talk about compromise, I think you tend, especially women, you know, who see themselves as um, wanting to be out there, wanting to accomplish, and then they hear the word, well, you have to compromise. It's like, I'm not compromising. So they don't necessarily have the resolution or the solution to that, but they 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 don't seem to be able. It's, I think it's about making choices. It's, it's okay to make a choice, and it's okay that I am going to, I have to be in California on business. I can't be in, in New York going to my kids' recital. I mean, I, and I'll give you an example. I was on the train yesterday, uh, last week actually, not yesterday, going from uh, New York City to, to Albany, New mm-hmm. York. And I heard this young woman, and she is on the phone. And I, I was in business class, so for some reason it's supposed to be better, but I think it's worse because everybody's talking on the phone all the time and you can hear it because oh, there aren't right. that many seats to absorb all the sound. But anyway, I, so she's like three seats ahead of me, and I'm listening to her. She is on the phone every half hour talking to her husband and her little girl or little boy. Mommy loves you, Mommy. If She said it 40 times. Mommy loves you. This is what you should be eating. And she's sort of conducting business on the train with her husband and as if she's, you know, she's trying to be at home and she's trying to, she's trying to help put the kid to bed. Yeah. I didn't want to listen to it, but that's another story. But, you know, so I'm, she's in two places at once, or trying to be. Trying to be, and probably not succeeding in either one. Exactly. Exactly. You can, you can only do, you can only do so much. And I, you know, I think uh, Jermaine Greer, uh, once said something to the effect that, um, when we told women, when we told women they could do anything, what we meant was they have to do all the work or some, something, something like that. And I think that's what we, you know, we can have it all, but that's what it becomes, you know, in business class and then, you know, kind of remotely tucking your kid into bed and making sure your husband does it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think that it, it, it was just kind of a perfect example of what you're talking about. And... um so we haven't resolved it. I guess that, you know, of course, if we read your book, we'll have some resolution. Well, that's right. But um, <laughs> I, I think a couple of things, um, Catherine, are, number one, knowing yourself, you know, 
as I was talking before, shutting out the noise from the outside, trying trying to get your satisfaction internally rather than from the externals, the paychecks, the uh, you know the titles, the big house, whatever. And um, I think one of our catchphrases is dispense with the shoulds. You know, you should do this, you should do that. Well, maybe you should, maybe you, you shouldn't. What's right for you? What do you do? What do you do that brings you satisfaction? And, you know, it could be cleaning cupboards or writing poetry or whatever, but that can give you a clue to what you want to do for your life's work. And I think you have to tap into that, but you have to go kind of silent in order to do that. And I think another, another resolution is redefining what we mean by happiness. Um, there, there's a great study that has kind of quantified um, satisfaction or well-being, and um, it found that only 10% of your happiness derives from changed circumstances. So, you know, you might get that new house or that new job or, what, or go, out, go out with that new guy, what you think you've always wanted, but a few months down the line, you're going to be just as happy or as unhappy as you were before. And I think that that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah that whole uh, issue of happiness, it's internal rather than external. I mean, it's not going to make you any happier if you had, 10, 000, if you had 2,000 square feet to your house because you'll get used to that in a month and it won't make any difference is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, your new husband will be the same as the old husband if you don't... <laughs> And you'll be the same wife as you were too. That's right. You'll That's be the right, same but, wife. So, but but it is. It is. It's like you you got to that happiness. It does come with from it. But you know we have a whole culture that kind of goes totally against that, right? It's what oh, you it does. Yeah, which it, is going to accumulate. You know whether, you know whether you get tenure as a professor or whatever your job is. You know it's always the external kind of defining you. But it's been it's great having you on the show this morning. It's been great talking to you, Catherine. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to, the, the website again, www.undecidedthebook.wordpress.com. Next time we have to have your daughter on. To see I know. She, she's the the, uh, the next generation and, and probably has, even though you two wrote the book together, but some kind of a, a, a different perspective. Well, well, kind of. I think what was great about writing it together was the fact that we came at it from different perspectives and then talked it through and then moved forward beyond either of our generational perspectives. Yeah, which is great. Anyway, great having you on the show, and um, we'll talk to you again. Great being here. Thanks so much. Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I hope you've had a good morning here on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.